This week on Voice Over Voices, we're talking about acting, radio, never saying no, moving to Australia, foxes, parrots, the melody of newsreaders, nonsense poetry in French, and radical self-acceptance. I rock. And welcome back to VoiceOver Voices, the podcast where we delve into the wordy world of voiceovers. Each episode, you'll meet a professional voice artist, find out who they are and how they got into this work, and listen while we run through some slightly ridiculous script games, which are based on the kind of jobs we tackle on any given day in the studio. I'm Cathy Ogden, and I'm a voice artist, singer, songwriter, and now podcaster. A voice artist needs to be able to sight-read scripts, take direction, interpret the client's brief, create characters, moderate their vocal tone, flip from character to character, and somehow manage to do all this within a tight time limit. It's an intensely focused kind of job, and people come into it from all sorts of different backgrounds. And what's more, nobody really knows who we are. We're largely invisible to all but our agents, clients, and each other. Well, I'm changing all that, so on with the show. My guest this week on Voice Over Voices is the delightful Yannick Laurie. Yannick is originally from London, where, after completing his undergraduate degree in law, trained as an actor at Arts Ed London, gaining a master's degree in acting. Not a fan of the job-for-life mentality, Yannick pursued a career as a radio announcer, starting out on Virgin Megastores Radio. He then worked at a variety of stations, including Capital Radio in London. Yannick has been living and working in Australia as an actor, voiceover and presenter for the past decade. He's been heard on air at Nova, Smooth and 2GB. As an actor, Yannick's film credits include the award-winning short film Love Dad, and he played Nick in the 2018 feature film Trust. TV credits include Australia, The Story of Us for Channel 7, Deadly Women for CI, and To Be or Not To Be for Movie Extra. Yannick's recent theatre credits include a national tour as Screwtape in The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis in Freud's Last Session for his own company, Clock and Spiel Productions, Alan in The God of Carnage, Twisted Tree Theatre, Trotter in Journey's End at the Seymour Centre, Brad in Brad Checked In at the Old Fitz, and Woland in The Master and Margarita at London's Menia Chocolate Factory. Yannick signed to his first voiceover agent in the UK after being heard on a mid-dawn radio slot on Capital Radio by an agent who offered him a contract and free demo reel on the spot. And he is now a scout here in Oz and can be heard on commercials for brands from Gillette to Kellogg's. Plus... He voices the conscience of Hotels Combined's grumpy cartoon bear, Max, globally. Elsewhere, he's voiced a grumpy cartoon parrot, a vicious warlord for a game, and narrated documentaries about fishing, history and space exploration. On top of all that, Yannick runs Studio Under the Stairs in Redfern, where he trains people in presentation skills and the art of voiceover and he is currently studying towards a master's in counselling and psychology. I can't wait to hear all about Yannick's world, so welcome to VoiceOver Voices, Yannick Laurie. Thank you, Cathy. What an introduction. (laughs) Very kind of you. (laughs) Well, my goodness, you have fitted an awful lot into your life. And you started in law, which is amazing, and then you went to acting. So tell me about that process. Well, I was pretty good academically when I was at school and both my parents are teachers and there wasn't any particular pressure for me to go down that law route, but I a few times mooted the fact that I really liked radio and I really liked acting and I might want to pursue a more creative path. And my parents didn't stand against it, but they were very much like, oh, is that really going to make you any money and give you any security? And I doubted myself. So I sort of spent my first three, four years after turning 18 and in the UK as uh, you and many of your listeners will know, uh, a lot of the time that's just an excuse to get out from uh, from living with your parents <laughs> and go and explore the world. So yeah. um, I found a course up in Nottingham, which is about 
150 k's uh, north of London and had a great time. Had a really, really great time at Nottingham studying law. But really what I was doing was a lot of extracurricular um, getting on the radio, University Radio Nottingham, where I did a a breakfast show there for a a while. Mm -hmm. And then um, with the new theatre in in Nottingham as well, which was the on-campus uni theatre group, developing my acting skills. So that was all going on in the background. But the vehicle to allow me to do that was a law degree, which literally, as soon as I finished, I was like, I'm not going to do anything with this. (laughs) And uh, and I think my parents thought that was probably quite a a waste of money. But nothing is wasted. I do play quite a lot of lawyers and I do have to read kind of legal product disclosure statements quite regularly as a voiceover artist. So, you know, it's come in handy along the way. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. That's And also, I think just the skill set that you develop doing such a complex degree is that I would imagine that helps you in all sorts of areas of life, even if it's just your work ethic, because I imagine that's something that you, you know, I know university can be kind of fun, but also at the same time, you must have had a hell of a lot of work to do. Yeah, I think it's interesting as a kind of um, a guy that leans more creative or certainly kind of, you know, my self-perception is that I'm, I'm more creative than I am sort of uh, down the line administrative, so more right brain than left brain. Um, but I actually think that probably having done, um, you know, gone down the academic kind of degree route uh, when I was younger forced me to sort of organize and balance that well so that, you know, I will do the creative stuff, but, you know, I never lose focus of what also needs to be done or what I think needs to be done uh, to be able to, you know, keep a roof over my head and feed myself and that sort of thing. So mm. so I guess that there's been a bit of a benefit for having sort of, you know, both strands, you know, I, I'm creative, but organized within that. Although if you looked at my kitchen, at the moment, you probably wouldn't think that because it is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Never judge a person by their kitchen, really. Please. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> so you, you managed to get into Arts Ed in London. Yeah. And was that, did you have to audition? How did that work? Yeah, so I uh, the first time that I auditioned for Arts Ed, I didn't get in. In fact, I I auditioned straight away after finishing university, uh, and I didn't get a place. And then a year later, the auditions came around again, and I just put some work in. I sort of had a couple of sessions with some acting coaches that uh, were recommended to me to really work on the monologues that I had to do to get in. And then I did get in. I mean, part of me, the unkind part of myself, goes, "Did I get in because they had a real lack of?" men that year so I was one of only kind of six guys <laughs> on a course of 35 people I was like am I here to make up the numbers uh, but either way I got offered a place and um, that was actually only 18 months in the end so it was a kind of fast track masters but it was a really really good period of my life and it definitely honed a lot of the skills for what I now do professionally. So when you when you came out of that though did you go straight into radio or did you were you then acting in shows and stuff tell me about that part of your life Oh, that's, yeah. So I definitely, uh, as you said in your intro, I don't like to make things particularly easy for myself. And in some ways, I think any any one of the things that I have pursued in terms of a career could have taken my whole focus. And for, for many people, I think would have taken uh, full focus. But for me, I'm not very good at shutting doors and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to do this. I just try and juggle as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And actually, I really enjoy living life that way I feel like I've had so many wonderful experiences and got the opportunity to work with many many creative people but with drama school I was already working on radio so I came out of university Ah. I started working for Uh, an organisation which was part of the Department of Education in the UK called the Basic Skills Agency, where I had to assist in developing numeracy and literacy strategies for English as a second language speakers. And it was a very bizarre kind of career choice. I only was there for about four or five months before I got the job at Virgin Megastores Radio, which uh, was a radio station which broadcast to all of the shops that sold records and CDs back in the day. So this is like early... Early 2000s. old school and yeah. um, uh, and then from there I then worked for another in-store station called Topshop TV where oh, I also really? did sort of in-vision um, uh, DJing and then uh, and then moved to Capital where I worked for a variety of different stations under that brand um, including XFM and Classic FM making podcasts for them and then doing kind of 
on-air bits and pieces at Capital. Wow. That's so that incredible. was alongside doing my. That was all alongside doing my um, my acting masters. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, it's either that I'm high capacity or that I just have no capacity to say no. That's probably that's probably more likely. <laughs> well, you're just loving life, yeah. <laughs> yes. I think you're getting the most out of every day that you possibly can. Taking is... it by the horns. Yeah, 100%. you really are. That's incredible. <laughs> so, how much of the stuff that you were doing on radio was live and unscripted or were you doing more of the sort of like I don't know tell me what were you doing what was it like um I I did a mixture so at Capital when I was at Capital I worked like I say I did uh created so the whole the overarching company it's now called Global but back in the day it was GCAP Media and uh it I made I was part of a team that made podcast content when podcasting was really brand new mm. um, for all of the stations under the GCAP umbrella, including XFM, Classic and Capital. Uh, whilst I was at Capital as well, I, I had a I ha- yes, I did have a show on that station. I, I yeah, it was all unscripted. It was generally sort of that was this is kind of, you know, getting enthusiastic about um, about the music and mm-hmm. uh, and then sort of a little bit of kind of content around that, which was personality led. Obviously, music radio now is much more jukebox-esque and uh, I think that's happened all over the English-speaking world certainly um, it's not heavy on the on the content apart from uh, specific drive and breakfast shows but back in the day um, I de- definitely had a little bit of wiggle room to stretch my legs and try kind of like creative and comedy content on air which was great fun I loved wow. that how much fun that, that's amazing <laughs> That is incredible. And they're big radio stations. Like, they are massive. Capital's huge. And mm. XFM as well. Like, that's that was a big, big, big radio station. I don't know whether it still exists. Does it XFM? I think it does. I think it's now called Radio X. I should have uh, okay. done my research. But um, but well. actually, <laughs> that you had to, Chris Moyles was uh, from, from Radio 1 back in the early 90s, fronted the, the new look XFM when it relaunched. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I think it may be Radio X. I'm, I'm going to do my, my research as soon as we finish talking. Worry not. <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> not sure how many listeners we have in London or from London so hey you know it's <laughs> well maybe they can let you know <laughs> maybe they can let me know yeah that'd be great oh, dear. so did you ever do anything that, like talk back or was that just not part of the job I I didn't in the UK. Um, I didn't didn't do any talk back in the UK. But um, one of the reasons why I'm here in Australia is because uh, very well known and you know for some quite contentious radio station Two GB mm-hmm. um, uh, had desperate need of a panel operator, and it was a panel operator to to work with uh, you know a very very well known announcer who has a reputation of being a, a hard taskmaster. Let's put it like that, and naming mm-hmm. no names. Anyway. His panel operator, who's the guy who or the person who would operate the faders, sort of be able to fade between different mics, kind of join the segments of the show together in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this announcer and his panel operator had fallen out. And I had worked with this announcer a few times just doing casual shifts here and there. And I got a phone call when I was due to be leaving Australia. So my backpacker uh, visa was up and I was on my way back to the UK. I was in Darwin at the time. Um, and uh, I got a phone call from 2GB saying, would I come and uh, take on a permanent contract as this announcer's panel operator? And I said, well, you know, I would love to, but I'm having to leave the country. And unless you can sponsor me and put me on a sort of, you know, work-based visa, then I'm not going to be able to do it. And they said, oh, I don't think we really can do that. We've never done that before. So don't worry about it uh, all the best and then uh, a couple of days later I got another phone call going we're really desperate <laughs> we can't find anyone to do this job and I was like well you know you know it's not even that I'm trying to force you to do something which is unfair um, but I will not be legally allowed to stay in the country mm. unless uh, you sponsor me and they did uh, so I then ended up working f- uh, for that announcer for a while uh, that announcer then made up with their panel operator so I, I was then 
at 2GB without much to do. So I did a bit of commercial production. I sort of did cover shifts for other panel operators when they weren't able to work and sort of got into show production as well. And then I also did a year working on Ben Fordham's show, the first year that he was there doing the drive time show. Mm-hmm. He's now on breakfast at the station. And um, and yeah, and that was quite good because actually whilst I was panel operating for Ben, he would use me on air quite a bit. And once a week I would do uh, a, a wrap up of the week, which was called Yannick's letter home where I wrote a letter home to my mum and actually actually this is quite a cool story so for the um, for the royal wedding back in 2011 10 years ago now um, Ben went over to the UK to cover it with his team and I was uh, part of a very small team that were left to do everything sort of on the ground in Sydney and right at the end of the show on the Friday in London there was a a big old surprise because uh, whoever was there opened opened the mic and Ben was like, I've got a little surprise for you, Yannick. And it was my mum and him uh, in the studio together having a glass of champagne, oh. but celebrating about to go and watch the, the royal wedding. And I had absolutely no idea. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Did you instantly <laughs> just burst into tears or did you keep it together? <laughs> uh, I kept it. I'm I'm a pretty emotional guy, but I actually kept it together. I was more sort of shocked because I'm always surprised uh-huh. when anyone's able to pull the wool over my eyes for anything like that. Because I'm quite astute and observant, and think that I have <laughs> a, a good bit of intuition if I know that something's going on. But I had no idea. So, yeah, that, that was great. And actually, yeah. So then I was at. Um, I was at GB for about three years, managed to get my permanent residency. In 2012, I was offered work as part of the launch team for Smooth FM, now Sydney, and I think Melbourne's number one radio station. They've done really, really well Mm. over the last nine years. And in early 2014, I decided that I actually wanted to do the thing that I had said I was going to do for a long time, set out my own studio and go back and really sort of like see if I could work as an actor and voiceover and have no other sort of you know supporting career um so yeah early 2014 is where i ripped away the safety net and Mm -hmm. um seven years later i'm still just about able to feed and clothe myself which is good that's saying a lot in this business (laughs) it's great (laughs) and so you started the theater company Did, did you start that around that time and was that so that you could have sort of creative control over what you were doing or was it so you could be doing stage in particular how did that come about so the theatre company, uh, Clock and Spiel Productions, just name-checking my theatre company. Sorry, I should have name-checked uh, was, it as well. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Should have been like, on the top of my in. tongue. Man. <laughs> Appalling behaviour. Forgive me. Forgive me, Yannick. That's no, all self-promotion for me now. Um, <laughs> Go for but, it. Uh, I, <laughs> um, it was... It was a real privilege. So I run it with Hayley McQueen, who's she's my business partner. Uh, she's a really, really excellent business partner, brilliant actor, really very savvy director as well. Uh, somebody whose work ethic I have abundant respect for. Uh, the partnership is brilliant. I think for lots of people that work in the creative sphere, whether you're a voiceover working kind of on your own or an you know, actor trying to kind of, you know, hustle and drum up business, a, a lot of the time it's really depressing having to do it on your own or you know and even your nearests and dearests unless they work in the industry don't necessarily understand the the ins and outs of it so it's been brilliant to have somebody that I respect who's very very talented uh, and who who I work well with to run the theatre company for the last five years but it wasn't really a big intention or a big plan that we had Um, she and I had been in the God of Carnage sort of fringe show in late 2014 and we found out that we generally sort of had kind of a pretty similar kind of like world view and uh, and in terms of what we liked theatrically a lot of what we were discussing was kind of quite quite similar and she told me that she'd adapted a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters which is kind of like a theological philosophical view on kind of like humanity and it was written in the war by C.S. Lewis who wrote the Narnia books Mm. and it basically tells the story of this demon figure called Screwtape who through his kind of assistant who is like a tempter called Wormwood uh, he, he tries to kind of like get this patient off the straight and narrow and kind of, you know, doing things which are going to kind of lead him astray. So um, I was like, oh, I've never heard of this book. And Hayley showed me the adaptation. And so we decided that we would, through a theatre company that was part of the 
drama school that she teaches at, um, a theatre company called Twisted Tree Theatre, which is set up for its alumni, that we would administrate it through that and see if it was successful. Uh, we had seven nights at the smallest theatre in the Seymour Centre in Chippendale, mm-hmm. and, and we sold it out within two hours of the tickets going on sale and wow. we had absolutely no idea now i'd worked i'd, I'd been doing quite a bit of theater up to to this point and i'd never been in a show that had even sold 50 percent of its tickets That's because amazing. you know unless you're sort of the big belvoir sydney theater company here in sydney then you know you just don't really have the reach to be commanding massive audiences so we knew that um we added another couple of dates as well which which all sold out so we knew that we were on to something with that particular show and we decided we would bring it back for a bigger season in a slightly bigger venue uh, the following year so this is 2016 mm-hmm. and we had to set up a theatre company because we just we both were a bit anxious about sort of you know absorbing kind of all of the administrative costs and etc etc if it made a massive profit we didn't really want to have to pay tax on that ourselves personally Um, uh, and if it made a massive loss you know we kind of wanted to indemnify ourselves against that so we were advised to set up a a company um, that even if it was only going to be for you know, a year to get this show up and on the road. And we ended up touring actually Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, Melbourne, Canberra and Adelaide. Um, so we basically decided that we'd run the company for a year and see what happened. And thankfully, Screwtape was again a really, really big success. So we we're able to make some cash, uh, pay everyone what they were owed and then think about having another season so and we've basically done that every year now we've managed to kind of like you know keep the the theatre company running year on year and now we've got some sort of fairly big plans for the next couple of years all of which are sort of you know quite um, anxiety inducing just because you know (laughs) it's uh, it's it's kind of like stuff that we've never done before but you know because like I said earlier we trust each other and you know we've got a great working partnership you know we can only do our best and, and see where it takes us. Well, I guess if you guys trust each other and you, you, you have such a similar outlook on and taste in what you're doing, it sounds, I mean, screw tape just sounds amazing. Like, I'd so love to read the book now because it sounds, I love C.S. Lewis anyway. But um, if you've got amazing material like that, then I don't know. I guess you can't guarantee an audience, but it sounds to me like you're just, you're good at picking the picking great stories and plays. I think that's so uh, Hayley is probably more the artistic director of the theatre company I'm I probably sort of sit more on the general manager end of the the spectrum so it's Hayley that has picked quite a few of these shows um, and she's got a very very good eye for a script but yes absolutely I think Screwtape was a a big and bold choice it had never been done in Australia which helped and C.S. Lewis's name on anything Mm. you know definitely draws a, a crowd, whether it's people that love his books from childhood, the Narnia series, or, or the people that, you know, we, we met a vast number of people that said that Screwtape was their favourite book ever. And oh I was like, goodness. gosh. An interesting fact as well, a good friend of mine who's a librarian gave me a statistic which was that, uh, and it's bizarre because it's all, all about how to live a good life, the Screwtape Letters is the most stolen book from Australian <gasps> libraries. Oh no. True, true fact. I want that to come up in a pub quiz not that i'm ever at pub quizzes but i want to be there when when that question is asked so i can say it was such a random pub quiz question so that would be a random yeah you're right (laughs) i don't know which pub would have a question like that that's funny i love that well like okay so on that note on that very note um Mm -hmm. i think we should do our first little two in a booth what do you reckon let's do it let's do it so you have the script there i do we have parrots Trev and Brian. Trev is smart, so I reckon you should play Trev. Okay, um, all right. <laughs> Brian is sweet and trusting. At one point, there's another voice that comes in, and you'll see that, and I'll do that. Mm-hmm. But at the very end, you do the tag. You see it says Yannick, and then I'm... Yes, I see it. That's Great. A, that's our little pet palace tag. Um, and what else was I going to say about it? So... I don't know whether I told you this, but I know you're from Lewisham in London, correct? Yes, mate. Yes. <laughs> I lived in Lewisham for a while. Did you? Yeah, I Whereabouts? did. Lewisham Park, mate. I mean, not oh, in the nice. park, but, you know, in a road around the park. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like it. I, I was in Ladywell. 
Lady sounds well, well nicer than it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that Catford didn't have a lot of cats either, which was just no, on the road. No. no, but it did have a big cat over the Catford Centre sign. It did, Well, yes. back in the 80s, I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can I tell you a very brief and funny story about living in Lewisham at the age Please. of 21? I had been in London for not very long and I was staying in this big house because I had friends that lived there and it was a big old Victorian terrace owned by the council. And I was there one night by myself. It was very spooky. And I heard bangs that sounded like gunshot. Oh, gosh. And I was so freaked out because I was there by myself. So I rang the police (laughs) and they came to the door and this scruffy little Australian in her PJs came to the door freezing, of course. And I went, I think it was gunshots. And they said, which direction? I said, I don't know, across the park. It was it was just terrifying. And they said, um, uh, we've, we've had a search through the park, but um, do you know about signal detonators on the train tracks? Oh, right. And there are these things that if a train needs to be diverted or if they're changing whatever lines, I don't really understand because I'm not an engineer, but they put these detonators on the track that make an almighty bang and there's usually two in a row. <laughs> I'd never heard of it either. So the police said, we're pretty sure it was signal detonators. And I went, oh, okay, thank you. And I was just (laughs) shivering in my little lug boots, you know, at the door with these policemen who were like bloody Australians. Anyway. (laughs) Well, at least they came. At least least that is their job. But then about a month later, I'm lying there in bed in the middle of the night and I hear what I swear sounded like somebody killing a toddler or a child or a baby in the park. Gosh. It was horrific. Like this just hellish sound. So I call the police again. (laughs) And um, they come to the door. They said, you know, again, we've looked through the park. We can't find anything. Um, And I said, but it was really awful, this sound. It sounded like something. I don't know. It was awful. They went... We did see a couple of foxes. wasn't wasn't foxes <laughs> fighting, was it? <laughs> I know that sound. I know that sound. I know exactly how horrible that would have sounded, especially if you were used to it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my and that I think is the only time in my life I've ever called the police. It was twice within a month, and it was in Lewisham. There you go. Was it and the same both, police that came round? Um, no, it wasn't. Thankfully. <laughs> Thank goodness it wasn't. Oh, my God. Anyway, never mind. So Happy memories of Lewisham. Happy memories of Lewisham. (laughs) Other than that, I absolutely loved living there. It was freezing, though. I mean, we we just had tiny gas heaters and and anyway, yeah. Another story for another time. But uh, let's go. (laughs) So channeling that kind of like Lewisham sort of just heard terrible noises in the park energy. Love it. Okay. And I'm Brian and I'm a little bit sweet and trusting in your Trev and you're very bright. Okay. So here we go. Brian, you're looking at yourself in the mirror again. Yes, Trev. I'm just checking to make sure I really am a pretty boy. (sighs) Why is that? Well, the lady always asks us, who's a pretty boy? And I don't want to say me if I'm not looking my best. Oh, Brian, you look exactly the same every day. So do I. We're brothers from the same nest. We're pretty much identical. And it's the objectification that I object to. Pretty. So why does she ask us? I think she underestimates our intelligence, Brian. Ergo, she asks us the same rudimentary and, dare I say, demeaning questions every day. Is that why you never answer her? Correct. I might have all the looks, Trev, but you really do have all the brains. Nah, not all the brains, Brian. If I did, I'd have worked out how to escape from this never-ending meaninglessness that is my so-called existence. Yeah, but the free sunflower seeds, occasional pine nuts and crackers are pretty good, don't you reckon? I reckon it's time to fluff up the feathers and do a little dance. She's coming. Who's a pretty boy then? I am, but Trev's a bloody genius and he wants a cracker. Now! Oh, thanks, Brian. You're welcome, Trev. Are your cockatoos getting crotchety? 
Do you need to appease your parrots? Come to Pet Palace. We have a full array of treats and toys for all your furry, fishy and feathered friends. Pouty parrot, bored budgie, forlorn fish, churlish chickens, high-maintenance moggies, obese bunnies. We'll find exactly what you need to perk up your pampered pets and make their life playful and perfect. Come to Pet Palace. It's paradise for pets. Yay! <laughs> oh, it's going on my reel, Kathy. It's going so on my reel. Good. I think it's going on my reel and all. Isn't it? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> that was so much fun. Oh my gosh. Wow. Loved it. Yeah. Back to my roots. <laughs> Lovely. Tell your mother. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> Oh, I love doing that. That was brilliant. Oh. So much fun. So tell me, um, you are somebody who does stage, film, TV and voiceovers. Mm-hmm. Um, are there fundamental similarities or differences to each style of acting? And, and what, what what would you say about that? Yeah. Do you know what? I, th- I think um, like all, all of life is like a learning journey and I don't think you ever arrive at the destination. And actually, that's something that I've probably only just recently in the last two, three years kind of come to accept and realise. And, and I think actually all of my creative endeavours have become better as a result of that. I think part of me thought, well, you know, if I've studied and I've been working in these industries for the best part of 15 years now, uh, then, you know, I, I should be at the top of my game and I should be sort of, you know, yeah, of course, kind of continuing to kind of develop skills but ultimately I should know how how to do these things and I do I do know how to do them but I think the thing that I've realized connects all of those three parts of what I do in my work voiceover acting even sort of you know presentation skills training type stuff is authenticity and Mm. I've I, I actually sort of think when I look back or I listen to kind of early reels watch kind of like one of my first show reels I can see the push I don't know if that, that if that makes sense. Like that there's that sort of sense. sense of like, I really want to try and show you that, you know, I'm good at what I do and that my technique is there and that, you know, I've thought these through. So there's, there's, a, there's an effort in there. And actually, I think what I have realized and what I'm trying to embed into everything that I do now performance wise is not to not put effort in, but to trust, you know, to trust what I have learned and, you know, the skills that I do have to be really open to taking on new information, any feedback or positive criticism that I get from people, whether that's in booth, in front of the camera, on stage. But yeah, that that sort of sense of letting go of of having to demonstrate that you are able to do what a client or a director wants you to do has probably been the key thing that I, I, I think is important in all of those three areas of my work. Did you sort of have like an aha moment when you suddenly went, whoa, I get this now? I mean, how did you get to that point? Because I think that I 100% agree and I feel like I've been at that point at times in my life and then at other points I haven't. And I go, it depends very much on how my confidence levels are in any given situation. But did you find did you find something that took you to that place or was it just yeah. a culmination of experience? Yeah, and I, I, I think I, yeah, it was around a, a particular time, and it's interesting that you say that about kind of when when you've been feeling confident and perhaps less confident. So I, um, uh, my family still all live in the UK, um, and I hope that this isn't going to be too deep for uh, voiceover voices, uh, but just kind of uh, a little bit of disclosure, which I'm really happy with. Mm. Um, my brother was quite unwell in 2018, and uh, I had to go back to the UK about four or five times over that year. And thank God that it didn't happen during the pandemic year, because yeah, uh, I would have felt really far away. And I think that kind of like going and coming back, um, I sort of, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but definitely kind of didn't feel like I was, you know, I was coming back to Australia sometimes for only about six weeks at a time before I would leave again. Mm. Um, And I sort of think, you know, I I felt just a bit off balance. I didn't really sort of feel like I was putting roots down anywhere. I was kind of wondering whether I should go back to the UK. And so I kind of was dealing with a bit of anxiety and low mood around that time. And, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm very like, you know, as we've established, I love kind of like having lots of different projects and lots of different things to do. So I had uh, enrolled around this time on a course with uh, a well-known acting tutor from the US who comes over to Australia uh, once a year. And his name is Larry Moss. 
So I did Larry Moss's masterclass, and he uh, picked a scene for me from uh, an Albie play called The Goat or Who is Sylvia. And he picked it for me because, and I don't know how he does this. It's kind of, he's got some sort of sixth sense, I don't know. But he picked a scene which was really very, very vulnerable and very emotional, but really kind of turn the audience against this character Mm. Um, and that kicks against something for me because you know like most people I'd rather be liked than disliked (laughs) but um, but I think that he chose it particularly to sort of like push me towards a character that would be disliked by the audience and to really open up and be very vulnerable and very you know and he commended me, he, he, you know, he, he sort of like said whilst I was doing the masterclass when he did the feedback session afterwards, you know, you're a very good actor, but you just need to let go and you're holding on to something, you're trying to, you know, uh, make sure that everyone has the correct image or what you believe is the correct image of you and you just need to let it go, you know, and, and he, he was very kind. He said, you could turn your hand to doing anything that you want to do professionally, but if you want to do this, you need to let go. And I... I arced up, and I didn't arc up. Uh, uh, Initially, when I heard the feedback, I was like, oh, that's a bit close to home, and I don't know how to do that. But just bit by bit, allowing it to to sink in and kind of go, well, how can I let go today when I'm in the booth? Or how can I sort of, you know, Uh not try too hard, kind of do all of the work for this audition or do all of the work for this uh, small role that I've got today, but not feel like then when you know, the lights go on or the camera starts, you know, the clapper sounds that, that, you know, I then have to sort of bring all of this energy, just kind of trust the work that I've done. And it's an ongoing thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I think you go back to old habits as well, yeah. um, especially when, you know, you've been working in the industry as long as, as we have, like, you know, you do go back to old habits, but it's just that now I try and kind of let go as much as I possibly can, uh, trusting that, you know, I've done the work and I've got the experience and stay open to learning as well that's a very long answer to your question that's a very very good answer thank you and and now it's so helpful to know that it really is because i think you know you can get knocked off your perch sometimes uh, for mm. for the strangest reasons and it might even be it might be someone you're working with you haven't developed that trust with them yet or you know whatever it is there might be some something it's it's so important i think as a general rule, if you can try and surround yourself with good people in this mm. business so that you can have conversations with them around your work so that you can stay on your perch if you possibly can. Absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah. um, having, having that calm, that peace, that sort of just, I'm just going to do this, I can just, I can do it, and just being able to come from that place as opposed to, I must get this right or mm. whatever it is. It makes the work so much more pleasant. It also makes you better. Um, Mm. I can see why a lot of actors kind of spend so much of their time really unravelling their own stuff, their own baggage, their own things that go on in their lives. And I think that's, that's partly because in order to inhabit a role, you need to find parts of yourself that can relate to that role. But also I think the more you can be accepting of, yourself, the better you are at your job. I don't know. Do you feel like that as well? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I've had um, the great privilege to uh, study for the last uh, few months this uh, semester that's just ending now, psychology and counselling. And I think it's Carl Rogers who came up with the person-centred therapy model, uh, who talks exactly about that, that sort of, you know, absolute radical self-acceptance, you know, of all the good and the bad is is really ne- is, is the first necessary thing to be able to kind of uh, change and, and accept others as well. And I think as an act, it's really important, not in terms of just your craft, but as well in terms of the way that you interact with other people in a scene and also behind the scenes. So, yeah, I think self-acceptance and is a really, really and that doesn't mean just kind of being happy to do a crappy job. No, That's no. not what I mean by no. that. And I think that was the thing that took me a while to realise that self-acceptance doesn't mean kind of going, oh, yeah, that will do. It just means kind of going, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a person with many skills, many flaws, and all of them are part of me and I accept that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love radical self-acceptance. I'm just going to I'm going to put that up somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to put it in front of my name. Yeah, radical self-acceptance. 
I nearly said self-obsession, which is slightly different. <laughs> oh, funny. Right. So I would like to do a new script game with you. So if you imagine that there's a hypothetical new gin product, right? Mm -hmm. It's from London and for whatever reason it's being advertised in Australia and it's called Winner's Gin. And the client wants you to try the tagline as many different ways as possible. They're not quite sure which tagline will be used, so there's two. Uh, they also want to promote the idea of drinking alcohol responsibly, of course. Hence, there's a version that sort of slightly could be taken that way. But the message could be confusing if the emphasis is misplaced. So what I'm going to get you to do is, I don't know, which, what, which do you think is a better tagline, the first one or the second one? Award-winning winner's gin. You can always pick a winner. That's the first one. And the second one is winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. So I like the second one. I like it too, got to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> Excellent copywriting there. Me, me and my creative team, myself, I, and all the other me's, uh, <laughs> came to the conclusion that that was probably the better one. So if you want to just launch into that, I'm going to give you quick fire direction. And, sure. um, and that some of it is, uh, is quite, you know, usual kind of direction that you would get. Some of it is really left field, so just be prepared. <laughs> okay. All right. Then let's make this happen. Let's do it. Okay. So do you want my, 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 my interpretation first or are I you do. going to give me some direction? No, okay. I'd, I'd like your interpretation first, please. Okay. Here we go. Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Can you do that a little slower, please, Yannick? Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Can you do it, like, more saintly? Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Hmm. Now, like, a grumpy parrot. Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Oh, OK. More natural, please. Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Sort of brighter. Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Brighter but faster. Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Mm. Equal emphasis on each word. Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Not my forte, that one, I don't that's think. That's <laughs> uh, brilliant. Okay, now can I please have it like a pirate? Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Oh, yes. <laughs> That was good. <laughs> um, can I have it like a teacher, please? Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Oh, you had some mean teachers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow, revealing a lot about my past today. <laughs> so funny. So now like a mouse. Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Oh, I like that. Can we have more emphasis on the product name and the third last word, please? Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. <laughs> oh, uh, can I have it now like a, an elderly gent? <clears throat> Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Oh, sweet. <laughs> um, now can I have it maximum charm? Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Oofed. Whoa. That's just, oh my, that, wow. Close in on Mike, it's, it's, it's one of my best tricks. Oh, that really hit the spot. Good Lord. But just in case, can we have it um, sweeter? Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Uh, and now more like your first read. Winner's gin. Never knock back a winner. Love it. Thank you oh, very much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of one of um, uh, it's a, 
a story that I tell quite a lot of the uh, clients that come and work with me who, who, who want to understand more about voiceover. And, you know, they sort of say, well, how long will a session be if you're, if you're booked for a session? I'm like, you literally never know. You might turn up and you might do a read um, and uh, you think it's the demo read or the first read that you're sort of trying to get through it in one go and sort of see where you're going to place the emphasis and what you want to bring out. And actually, when the client and engineer come on talk back, they might be like, oh, thanks very much, Yannick. That's that's." Great. And you're like, that was not even my first read. Oh, no, we've got the right one. Yep, bye. So you might be in and out within a minute, and that yeah. has happened to me. Or you might have, as happened to me for um, a male skincare product, one of the last VOs that I did when I was back in the UK before coming to Australia for a quite well-known brand. And so I did the hour session. It took me about 40 minutes. It was a very odd because it was only a 30-seconder. And at the end, the strap line was what men want. So we got to the 40-minute mark, and like we'd finished most of the ad. We got kind of the take that they really, really wanted. What men want was the tagline. And I said it for 20 minutes, nonstop. And then they stopped. Then they called my agent. They, they booked another hour uh, and made sure that that was all okay. And for another hour, so for an hour and 20 minutes, I said, what men want again and again and again and again. And exactly as you just were doing with me through the winner's gin thing, you know, it was like, no, just a bit brighter. No, not, not so bright now. And I had to really stay on top of my emotions as well because I was getting really frustrated but you're not allowed to get frustrated no, when somebody else is paying yeah. <laughs> you know so I just had yeah. to say I must have said it five to eight hundred times like it was insane <laughs> and when they finished like bang on just before we hit the end of the second hour they're like yeah that's the one I was like how is that any different from any of the other ones that oh I said God. but if you're happy then I'm happy so how did you end up <laughs> saying it do you remember what men want <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I mean, I love that, but that's extraordinary. (laughs) Well, there you go. That vindicates this particular little script game. I'm very happy. Exactly. It really does. necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was born out of a chat with Jules Lander talking mm-hmm. about exactly that, that you can you can have some sessions that are just an hour on one line. And then Henrika, she did it as well. And she was the one that suggested I put in things like pirate and mouse or whatever. It's so funny. Anyway. There <laughs> Great. You I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> Help me, um, you know, get past the trauma of that, that previous job as well. So thank you. <laughs> there you go. I think we've all had sessions like that. So worry not, Yannick. It's just that's 100% normal. And kind of fun, and it is part of the job. It is really odd, yeah. At least you got the job. It's not like you got exactly. to the end of the second hour and they went, look, it's just not working. You know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Was... Oh, no, <laughs> utterly hellish. Um, what has motivated you to do the psychology course? Yeah, it's a good question. I've, it's always been on my mind. I love chatting to people. I love getting to know people, uh, what makes them tick. I like not giving advice, but you know, I, I think the way that we're built as human beings generally means that we do better. And I've seen this even with the theatre company and in my work as an actor, you know, do better when we pool our resources and when we sort of, you know, come together to creatively find solutions. And I think that even comes down to kind of when you're living your life and you kind of hit a bit of a roadblock and it might be internal it might be external I think it's always better to try and share the load with somebody without necessarily overburdening them Uh, and just so that you can kind of like clarify your thinking and choose your path forward so I do I tend to be that's probably kind of my role in my family and in my friendship group and I actually don't mind that role I think it's quite a privilege so I thought well I sort of do uh, uh, I sort of seem to kind of find myself counselling people or just listening to people quite a bit um, so I may as well sort of try and put some professional understanding around that so that mm-hmm. you know I can be doing a, a good job of it and yeah and perhaps part of me is wondering whether in you know the next 10 years that might be sort of something as I'm less likely to be cast doing voicing or or acting in kind of commercials which uh, you know buy this now or do that then and come here on this day <laughs> so you know um so you know it might be sort of a career path in the next sort of 10 years that you know i might morph towards but as i said earlier i'm very bad at shutting any doors so if i ended up practicing uh, as a counselor it would probably sort of be on a day of the week that i i sort of identify as being a day that i don't want to do other projects on and i'd yeah. probably still find a way of keeping the acting and and certainly the voiceover work going so yeah I can no, see how the psychology would 
also help with the acting as well. There's a lot of psychology in acting. (laughs) 100%, 100%. And in terms of understanding characters and what makes them tick, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Although that's not, I mean, the the reason I did it in some ways as well was just because I haven't studied, haven't done any academic study in about 20 years now. And I just thought, well... Be fun. Plus, what was really good is post COVID, there was a big incentive. The Australian government actually uh, created a stream called the Commonwealth Funded Stream, and it allowed uh, people that that enrolled for this particular course, which is a postgrad certificate in counselling, which is a nested programme taking you towards a master's. And the government actually were paying last semester of 2020 and first semester of 2021 all of the cost of that. So I've essentially got a kind of postgrad certificate for free, uh, which is very, very kind of the Australian government. But I thought I'm also quite good at taking advantage of opportunities when they come. I will generally kind of go, right, I'm going to do that. So, So that's why I did it. But it had been on my mind for a little while beforehand. Ah, interesting. They did some pretty incredible things during COVID in this country. Mm. They kept things going. They also, one of the reasons I got my booth was because there was a tax incentive too. Like I I could claim it 100%, which is not something, you know, I would have been able to do before. Mm. So that was pretty amazing. Good old Aussie government. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Much appreciated. Really. Um, Yeah. So... You actually, you teach voice acting as well at your studio under the stairs. And is that generally to people who have already had acting experience or people who have already had voiceover experience or are you taking on people who are completely new to the whole thing? It's a mix. So quite a lot of the time it's actors who have had obviously a good amount of training and uh, want to sort of understand how the industry fits together because... To be honest, even though the the two industries uh, are, are smallish or intimately connected, I'm, I don't know what am I trying to say. Um, but, uh, <laughs> even though they're, 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 they're relatively small industries, um, yeah. they act, they operate very differently from each other. So you know, a, a voiceover agent interacts with with clients to get people on their roster jobs very differently from an acting agent uh, who will get casting briefs from things like casting networks and show cast, and then kind of submit to their actors through that platform to casting directors um Mm -hmm. uh, voice agents obviously have much more uh developed actual relationships with kind of the creative directors with the studios with particular agencies It's, it's generally a personal relationship that they'll have with most of those whereas kind of acting agents it's not so much they might have some relationships with the casting directors but but it operates differently so anyway that's all a very long-winded way of me saying that part of what i do is help actors understand how the voiceover industry fits together but mm-hmm. also you know what what they're going to need if they want to get into voiceover because even if you have got a, a half decent voice and you know you you can read well that's probably about 50 percent of the game and and it took me a long time to realize that and i sort of am quite happy to pass on the expertise that i have because i realized that me getting into voiceover was you know a lot of very you know people would call them uh, lucky breaks i don't know providence or whatever i was just able to kind of be offered representation and a voice reel by somebody who'd heard me on air and then the rest is history and I started working pretty much immediately so I realise how lucky I am yeah so these actors generally sometimes newsreaders as well although I find working with newsreaders very hard because it's very hard to change the way that they speak Ah, (laughs) because they always keep the same the same kind of up and down intonation but anyway they're all wonderful people they are it's just a a very it is a very obvious place if you want to if you want to understand the melody of speech and how yes. that's that's where you look. I guess it's because they can't, in some ways, show emphasis or emotion around all these various different things that they will mm. cover for everything from a, a lost kitten to world wars or whatever. And they've got to kind of read it in a way that is pretty much neutral the whole time. So I mm. guess you kind of fall into a particular melody. Absolutely. And it's very, very hard to train people out of it because it becomes it becomes something almost subconscious that in, once you're in front of a camera or in front of a microphone, yeah. um, you, you go into that pattern. I know a recent event, I think I told you that this happens to me when whenever anyone puts a camera in front of my <laughs> face, um, I start speaking in an Australian accent because I've done so much kind of presenting to camera in my flat, neutral Australian accent, <laughs> which kind of then just, yeah, it's a bit powerful. Love's dogs-esque. Um, I can't help but do it now. Um, and you, I think for newsreaders, it's the same. 
Can you uh, can you just drop into an Australian accent now without having a green screen behind you or a, or a I can I can I feel, I feel very self conscious talking oh. to a, a bona fide Aussie. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I can. I don't, like, it helps if I need if I read something. So okay. I go back to the cockatoos thing. So oh no, wait! I tell you what, I'm going to get you to do the nonsense poetry jam. Okay, in Australian. In Australian. But I I believe you also speak a little bit of French there, Yannick. Mais oui, bien sûr. C'est bon. In that case, I have put it through Google Translate uh-huh. into French. So if you wouldn't mind doing the first half in Australian. And the second half, I shouldn't say Australian like it's a bad thing. It's a great thing. I'm Australian. <laughs> it's a great um, thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second in French. Sure. That would be cool. Okay. Okay, here we go. Jodpur's valve of truncheon, if notes incumbent frost. Giggle most ignoble barn. Formidable be tooth. Uncomplicated nether ministry. Dystopian the mouse. Loosen of Skylark, this cream. No, 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 keep going. I keep going. Okay. Beneficiaries and odor. Tortoise. Poetry thing a ramp. Grossly insure vast polka. Yam symphonic mist. Loop. Eloquent. Charcoal as moat. Plum. Fly. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Now in French. (laughs) Jodpur valve de matraque. Si les notes te gèlent en place, guigle la plus ignoble grange, formidable entre dons. Ministère des enfers simples, dystopique la souris, desserrer d'alouette cette crème, bénéficiaire une odeur tortue. La poésie est une rompe, assurée grossièrement une vaste polka. Yam, brume symphonique, boucle éloquent, le carbon de bois comme d'œuvre, prune, mouche. Oh, yes! <laughs> Et voilà! <laughs> My nonsense poetry just sounds so stunning in French. <laughs> <laughs> I um, gotta yeah. say, I mean, sounded pretty stunning in Australian too. But wow, I've... you're gonna cut it up and make me say something I never said. <laughs> <laughs> never, you should. you should. I would never do it to you. That's so brilliant. Thank you, Yannick. <laughs> so love much it. fun. So yeah. much fun. Yeah, I love that. There are certain words that. Obviously, the the English has taken words from French, and we just use them as if they were English words, and then vice versa. There's there's words that, uh, well, not vice vice versa, but there are words in English that are uh, there's no French word for, so they use the English, like giggle, for example. Yes, is, I don't think I've ever heard that in French before. Yeah, well, there you go, giggle. Giggle. I wonder what's laugh in French. Rigoler. Rigoler. Cute. <laughs> Ah, there you have it. Oh, so you're, you come from, you have a French mother or something yes. I'd like to say, mother? Yes. yes. So Excellent. My, yeah. Okay. My mum is French. She's from near Strasbourg, so near the border with Germany. Uh-huh. Um, and when I lived in the UK and, you know, when I was living at home with my parents, we would very frequently kind of, as I was growing up, be there for the long summer holidays between July and August and then again at Christmas. So I, I went to France. I was in France probably eight to nine weeks of every year. And, yeah, my mum would speak with me in French quite a lot of the time as well. So I, I spoke French at home. My dad speaks Italian, uh, so oh my dad my kind of, you know, yeah, so, uh, but weirdly, I never really learned Italian because there was something odd and political going on with my Sicilian grandmother and, <laughs> okay. and my dad and kind of around learning languages was a, a bit of a contentious issue. But I spoke French with my mom quite regularly. And even now, I will speak to her on the phone in French uh, when I when I speak to her on FaceTime. So, yeah, and it's nice. I like having that connection to to my roots, I must yeah. say. I lived in Paris, actually, for a year as well as part of 
my degree as an English language assistant, teaching English to French kids that really did not want to be in my classes. Um, <laughs> but it was very, very, very good fun, especially having a, the opportunity to live in Paris for a year. It's a, a very, very fun city. Oh, that is a dream of mine, to live in Paris for a year. <laughs> one day, one my, day. My, yeah, my French is almost zero. I can walk into a restaurant and say, uh, excusez-moi, vous avez une table pour deux personnes à huit heures? Perfect. That's it. And That's... you would be understood. And, they, <laughs> and then you just they point then, at the menu. Then they, they look at me and they go, yes, of course, we have a table for two at eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> in perfect English. <laughs> That's the worst. The French are the worst for that. And as soon as they detect any kind of accent, they just jump in there. It happens to me quite frequently <laughs> if I'm anywhere anywhere sort of French-speaking where they'll kind of go, mm, not a complete Francophone, I don't think. So, um, And then they'll switch into English. Very patronising. Well, <laughs> I, I must say I kind of I uh, got very used to saying, je suis Australienne. And so they were very nice to me if they found out I was Australian. Yes. So it's just the English that they, they detest. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. <laughs> True, though. <laughs> Hence why I learned how to say that so that my husband, who is British, could send me into restaurants and I'd be the one asking for the table. <laughs> very He's the one good. who can speak French really well, but would he ever use it? No. Oh, anyway. there you go. Schmart. Not stupid. Yeah. Anyway, there you have it. So, Yannick, I probably have about 350,000 other things I'd love to talk to you about because you are such an amazing person and you take life, you dive into life like a person who loves living it. And it's just so wonderful to hear about your life. And I've learned so much. I guess we, we pass like ships in the night, we meet at industry things or we do the occasional job together, but it's all the things I, I didn't know about you. So yeah, it's lovely. Oh, it's been it's a real, been so real pleasure to, to chat you. with you. And thank you so much for having me on. I love the podcast. I'm a fan and um, I look forward to hearing many of the other fascinating and very talented people that you'll have on in the future. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really enjoying doing it. And this has been amazing. And oh, but Yannick, one mm-hmm. last thing, mate. Mm-hmm. Well, two last things, actually. Did you have a prepared thing? I do. I'm, I'm just wondering whether it's a bit downbeat for the end of our time together. <laughs> we don't um, mind downbeat. It's from Freud's last session, which is a show that my theatre company put on. And uh, it features Sigmund Freud having a passionate debate with C.S. Lewis. They obviously had very, very different kind of experiences of the world and kind of believed very, very different things about life. And this play written by Mark St. Germain is a really great two-hander. I played C.S. Lewis and Nicholas Papadimitriou, a very talented actor, played Freud. And in fact, we're actually going to be performing it at the Riverside Theatre, the Lennox Theatre in Parramatta at the end of this year. But we've done it once about three years ago. And I really love the play, mainly because in our very polarised current world, it showed almost modelled two people who have very opposing views coming together and having a robust discussion, but leaving with a lot more respect and admiration for each other than when they first met. And I just feel like, you know, in our kind of very sort of shouty, opinionated and often, you know, with people that have the absolute right to have huge passions about things where, you know, they have been mistreated or wronged. But sometimes, you know, the ability to actually have sort of debate and sort of really hear two opposing arguments and then sort of, you know, leave having made your own mind up is is something that, that happens relatively rarely. So this, this play has some great kind of like moments in it. But the moment that I've chosen is where C.S. Lewis basically has heard an air raid siren and talks about remembering when he was in the war and how much that has traumatised him. So, wow. like I say, it's a little bit downbeat, but no, it's a really nice kind of amazing. passage. So... Um, I thought that I'd give it a go. Please do. When I heard the siren, I was back there. The smell of explosives. Bodies all around me, horribly smashed men, still trying to move like half-crushed beetles. Bombs like hailstones. My friend exploding ten feet in front of me. I never even felt the shrapnel. Just him, pieces of him, hitting my chest and my face. I I had shell fragments in my left leg and, and my wrist. One in my chest. It's still there. 
too near my heart to remove it. <laughs> the war to end all wars. Yes. Well, there'll never be such a thing. And that's it. Whoa. <laughs> I was right in there. Oh, wow. I'm so coming out to see this play, Yannick. Thank you. I would love you to. I, I'm really, really passionate about this play because I just think it's so beautifully written, um, captures a lot about these two men, their incredible contribution to the world. But like I say, just sort of, you know, uh, two people having a robust argument and leaving with greater respect for each other than when they arrived. Um, yes, it's a must-see, Kathy. a must-see. Yes, I'm there. I am there. Can you just make sure that I'm there? <laughs> I, I will be, I will do. Front, front row seats. Front row seats. Thank you. Booked in advance. Thank you very much. Um, so, oh, gosh, incredible. Thank you. Um, so if people want to find you in the world... You're on Instagram, I know that. And also the studio. Is there a separate page or a website for these things? Tell me all about them so people can find you. My God kids actually criticise me quite heavily for the fact that A, I use my own name as my Twitter and Insta and Facebook handle uh. as opposed to some kind of alias. They also criticise the fact that I have not got a separate Insta account for my studio page. Okay. But I do have a Facebook page for Studio Under the Stairs and okay. um, I'm pretty kind of uh, unbiased when it comes to adding people on, on the Facebook or the Insta. Uh, if they find me and want to add me and start a conversation, then I'm always happy to as well. I'm, I'm, I'm easy to find, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And it's Yannick, spelt Y-A-N-N-I-C-K, Laurie, L-A-W-R-Y. Absolutely. Kathy. it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for chatting to me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for fitting this in, Yannick. <laughs> I so appreciate it. And I really look forward to seeing you very soon. Woohoo! Woo! Likewise. Okay. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Voice Over Voices, scripts and concept by Kathy Ogden. Music produced by Grant Windsor and written by Jeff Franzel and Kathy Ogden. You can find us on Instagram at voice underscore over underscore voices. If you liked this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe so more people can find us. Be kind. Thank you. Thank you.